From Nevada Public Radio, I'm Joe Shaneman. It's State of Nevada. For years, the board that governs Nevada's universities has made headlines. And a lot of you know that because a lot of the headlines have not been good. They've been accused of harassment, favoritism, and just making bad decisions at times based on politics, sometimes based on religious beliefs. And it stunned people when a candidate in 2018 without a college degree won a seat on the board as he ran unopposed. Last year, voters narrowly voted down a ballot question to hold the regents more accountable to state lawmakers. But there's a new attempt this session to limit the number of members on the board and to reduce regent terms. Marine Schaefer is the CEO of Nevada Health and Bioscience Corporation. She's also executive director of the Council for a Better Nevada and a leader behind the push to reduce the size of the Board of Regents. Also with us is former Republican State Senator Warren Hardy and UNLV political science professor David DeMoor, who is also a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. And Maureen, I'm going to start with you. What are the specifics of this bill? I mean, what would it do in terms of the Regents on the board and their terms? Thank you for having me today. Uh, the purpose of... Um AB 118 is to increase accountability over the Board of Regents. You've you've appropriately talked about the history of of our board, and uh, we're concerned about this. You know, the the question is, is, you know, why do we let people um, control us who clearly have no business being in control or or in power? And, And we have to ask ourselves, what kind of system do we have today? And what kind of system and what kind of people is it attracting generally we've had good board of regents in the past mm-hmm. we have and and um as the states continued to grow as the reliance on the type of students that were educating and and building for our economy um and the future economic development of the state we have to ask what kind of output are we getting and um it's it's not about um, the people. Um, it's about what kind of of people are we attracting into this system. Yeah. So we have to we have to ask ourselves that and be accountable to ourselves. And and what kind of system do we have in place and, and have the courage to change it? And it's 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 asking for change. So AB one eighteen is is saying the board has failed to police itself. And its members, as you say, have, have been the subject of repeated, repeated, repeated ethics complaints. And the board's handling of personnel issues have led to large financial settlements, the hiring of outside law firms to assist with possible litigation. Um, there's long, long standing mistrust between the board and the legislature, not just the community, like myself, foundations, business leaders, labor leaders. Um, and Assembly Bill 118 extends to recent efforts to increase accountability. Um, and um, so we we also look at the board's current size. It's so emblematic of, of um, its unwieldy nature and the factionalism that takes place within the board itself. It's not a board of 13 regions. It's sub-boards of two and three um, subgroups that are constantly at odds with itself, whether it's personality or politics before it gets to the issues of higher education. And so if you go to them with an education issue, you have to actually go to two or three subgroups um, within the board because they've got their own inner fighting and inner politics going on. And it's very difficult to have them hear issues that they're supposed to be hearing because they're 
fighting within themselves. It's very difficult. And if you look at boards within cities and regionals and, and the, the Clark County School District, they don't have this type of size yeah. and scope. So it, it runs it runs counter to what's going on in other public governing mm-hmm. institutions. Yeah, this kind of stuff goes back many, many years. Uh, I'm not from Nevada. Well, actually, a lot of people, most people aren't from Nevada. But I remember, I, I can't even remember how long ago it was when there was a preference by one regent or, or he was, I don't know, caught uh, giving preferential treatment to a daughter or a relative at, at UNLV. I mean, this. I, I, the reason I put that out there is I, what was the final straw? that that brought about this bill was it the chancellor melody rose situation i mean what was it what what, what pushed this well I, I'll, I'll defer to my colleagues because they've been involved in this system from an academic and from a, a political perspective but for for our group council for better nevada that's now been around for almost 20 years the final straws happened multiple times and we just continue to go at change within the system because we owe it to ourselves as as students, as families, as an economic development uh, uh, mechanism. Because if you don't have an educated citizenry, you don't have anything. And if you have an educated citizenry, um, you can begin to ameliorate every other society, societal issue, um, whether it's healthcare, whether it's jobs, whether it's um, my goodness, anything that you struggle with in life as an individual or as a society. And so the final straw, at least for our group, happened when we formed the group, because when you empower an individual with with an education, any other struggle you have in life, just it becomes a little bit softer, a little bit more able to be tackled. So uh, but but Melody Rose was the latest example, certainly. Sure, um, little- could you, if you can uh, briefly explain what happened there. Well, Melody Rose, who's a phenomenal individual and a phenomenal higher education professional, was the first chancellor we hired from outside of ourselves, outside of the state. Mm-hmm. And she came with best practices. She came with a uh, a pedigree of, of higher education experience. And I wouldn't call this a criticism, but she didn't have sort of the Nevada uh, good old boy insider experience and again you can call it a criticism or you can call it a compliment Mm -hmm. but uh she didn't know sort of the backwater ways and uh when she was attacked for being a woman when she was attacked for uh, defending all the institutions in the system and trying to treat every institution equally um she fought back and when she was uh disparaged again, for being a woman and for um, asking people not to bring guns into hearings and things like that, um, open carry, things like that. Um, she uh, she didn't survive. Yeah. And when she um, actually filed an ethics complaint, she she didn't survive. So again, without getting into the salacious details of, of that, um, she acted and comported herself like a professional and that didn't carry water um, within the higher education system with um, the regents. And I say that writ large, there are professional regents, right. but as a culture that um, doesn't carry sway um, in this current system, the system doesn't att- attract professional um, individuals writ large. Um, and the ones that come into the system trying to do good and trying to be professional do not win the day. 
Um, so that's the culture of the system and we need to change the system. No, you have said there is a quote, visceral North South divide over the Nevada system of higher education. And you've said limiting the number of regions and changing their terms from six years to four years can help end that. How, where do you see the connection there? Well, again, I, I, I say that, um, and I would defer to my colleague, Dave DeMore and certainly, um, former Senator um, uh, Warren Hardy, mm-hmm. uh, because it 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 runs more um, cohesive to other uh, political terms um, in other offices. I think um, uh, giving the voters a chance to refresh how they think our elected officials are doing is a good thing um, to retain or uh, change. Six years is a long time. Um, for local officials. And I think that um, with the contentious and fragmented uh, culture that's going on, it's a long time to leave them in office. And we need to have a a more reputable board that encourages more qualified candidates to serve. So with the current culture and fragmented and contentious nature that's going on right now to have longer terms is again, not a a, a positive uh, uh, way to uh, allow this this culture to continue. And David Demore again is with us. He's a UNLV political science professor. David, welcome. Thanks for having me. How how do you see this benefiting uh, the system of higher education, limiting terms, and decreasing the size of the board? I think there's a couple things at play here. Um, the first is just more accountability, right? A six-year term and your you have a 12, 12 years total. You only run for election. You're up once, and that's it, yeah. right? So if you're an assembly member, you're up every two years, right? So five re-elections to get your 12, right? Yeah. Um, county commissioners, state senators. So they just a, had the opportunity for voters to weigh in, mm-hmm. right, as opposed to that six years term. As, as Maureen alluded to, the size is cumbersome, right? There's a lot of research on management suggesting you get better oversight, you get more, more, more better decision decision making and better accountability. The smaller the board is um, on this one there. So those are sort of. I mean, you think about the Clark County Commission, seven members. They're running a county for 2.3 million people, right? CCSD, seven members with 335,000 students. So that sort of arrangement allows for a more better decision making more more oversight better accountability so i think that that part is there also this is sort of a continuation of a lot of issues that the legislature has been pushing right so we had the first effort to remove them from the constitution that narrowly lost that last, was a, last year yeah yeah and, and there's a clear north south divide on that vote um, you have another effort that passed last in what, 2021 it'll be up again in 2023 that also adds an audit to audit. that um, and you can remember that there was an audit that was done this year that came out earlier this year and showed a lot of questions about sort of how, how the uh, board's overseeing the finances of, 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 the, of the state institutions. And that was only a finite number of the accounts there. And then I think, you know, the legislators got frustrated, so they just used the most blunt tool they have, and that is the appropriations process. So they did not restore full funding back to, back to, the, back to ENCHI um, after the, the, the pandemic, right? And so they're effectively punishing the students and the institutions for their ongoing disputes with the legislature. So this just sort of continues this as 
a way to sort of bring more accountability. As Maureen mentioned, right, you have these ethics complaints, you have the handling of, um, of, of the, the former chancellor there. But there's also one more in that, right? So they hired their own chief of staff and three months later pushed him out the door with a $110,000 settlement. So that just sort of adds to that. And there's been efforts in the media to sort of get how much are they spending on outside counsel to deal with this kind of stuff there. And that that's an unknown number as well. And again, that's money that's not going to students, not going to support what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, people think about politics, they, they probably think first, you know, there's the, the U.S. presidency, senators, the House of Representatives, maybe our state legislatures, they know their city councils, but very few know boards of regents. Just how powerful are they? Um, that's a good question, right? You certainly see that in the voting, right? What we call roll-off, yeah. right? the undervote, is people just stop voting after you get to those top those top of the ticket. So even the number of people who are turning out to vote aren't voting in those races there. Um, but they have a, you know, this is one of the other parts, and that's one of the reasons why you have efforts to move them from the Constitution, right? Because they've used that historically, that sort of claim of constitutionality to sort of push back on the system to say, no, you can't audit us. No, you can't do this. No, we have this constitutional power. That's been very frustrating for the legislature as well, just to get sort of basic answers about about questions using that claim. And that enhances that power, enhances the power of the, the bureaucracy, that the, the system level bureaucracy there. So that's also definitely goes into that. And then this issue, you know, with the audit, I think was the tip of the iceberg here, sort mm-hmm. of what's really going on behind the scenes. During COVID, there was, you know, Maggie Carlton, when she was running Ways and Means, there was a sort of famous quote that she said there when Enchi was sort of disclosing some of the some of the funding that they had in reserve. And she says, do you have any more budget accounts we don't know about? Um, <laughs> and, you know, and that sort of led to them, okay, you're going to take the financial hit. We're going to restore that money, put it into K-12. We're not going to give it to higher ed because we don't trust you. That, that's, uh, that's almost unbelievable. Uh, yeah, Warren Hardy is also with us. He's a former Republican state senator. Warren, welcome back. Good morning, Joe. Thanks, as always, for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, Warren, you were a Republican senator from 2003 to 2005, and uh, obviously you, you you dealt with budget issues at the state level. You dealt with, and that trickles down to the uh, the university systems. Back then, 20 years ago, were these types of questions coming up? Yeah, and, and I was actually there from 03 to 09. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 100%, Joe. I mean, that's my involvement in this, right? I mean, the the, the, the Constitution clearly sets up a joint responsibility between the legislature and the Board of Regents. But the Board of Regents are really uh, established under the Constitution by the legislature. And the legislature sets those rules. Through the years that I've been involved, and this goes back a lot further than me, uh, but because I've been involved in the legislative process in one capacity and another since 91. And there's a, I would say, I think it would be uh, an understatement to say a tension between the legislature and the Board of Regents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but most of the tension, and I would even call it hostility, sort of resides on the Board of Regents side. So Dr. DeMore spoke to the fact that they believe they have independent constitutional standing, and so they, they become a fourth branch of government. And that partnership between the legislature and the Board of Regents has broken down. Uh, and the size of it, you know, it, 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 we it, we asked why we chose this way to go or why we're looking at this and supporting uh, Assemblyman Watts and Senator Monte on this, because best practices really show us that smaller boards uh, with with more accountability to the public through the vote uh, have less factional fra- factionalism, 
and uh, uh, fewer of these issues. And that's really what's running rampant here is this north south thing that I we, we're trying to figure out what that came where that comes from. Can, can, wait, can, can you can you explain that the north south thing uh, a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So we all sort of know that there's the North-South friendly competition. So I'll just give you an example of where this became blatantly obvious to me. First of all, on the creation of the med school, it's hard to imagine that you would have a regent vote against a free uh, medical school for UNLV, which is really what we had, right? Mm -hmm. The state put a little bit of money in, but uh, generous donors and philanthropists in Nevada built that school. We had regents from, from Northern Nevada vote against that. And you have to just ask yourself why. But here's the big one for me. I've been pushing for many, many years to get it to make it clear in statute that UNLV is a land grant institution in Nevada. Mm -hmm. It's very clear that UNLV is a land grant status or land grant. But that was denied by the northern end of the state for a long time with the help of the Board of Regents to try to deny UNLV that status. To what end? All that status means is that we have better access to federal grants, better access to programs. Why, why would we oppose that from happening? Now, we finally got that done last session and got that, that designation in statute, but it, there's no rhyme or reason to why somebody would oppose a free medical school at UNLV, and I'm an alumni of UNLV, right? So I've got, I've got, a, little, I've got a little skin in the game, and why they would oppose a a designation that provides significant advantages to UNLV. And so the only thing we can put our finger on is it's the size and it's the fact that they're not accountable to the public. We've got to get away from this notion that they're a, a, a six year, I mean, that they're a, a fourth, a fourth uh, branch of government who is completely independent of the legislature. The legislature funds it. They should have more input into this and there should be more accountability with the public. One more thing on the North-South divide. You know, in, in the simplest terms, I'm thinking of, of it as um, jealousy or envy. I mean, it, why would Northern Nevada regents vote against something as needed and as you said, almost paid for exclusively by through fundraising and private donors for a medical school here. I mean, UNR had a medical school. Was it because they just didn't want the competition? I mean, well, I want I, mean, I want your I, opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, here's the problem. Right? I don't think that I don't think that mentality pervades at all in northern Nevada. I don't think it pervades in the system of higher education either. But when you have. When, when you have uh, a situation where they have that much unfettered power that is not checked by accountability, an individual uh, can express that without fear of retribution. So when I talk about, I, I, I don't think you'd talk to a single resident of, of Northern Nevada or Reno that's not thrilled that we have a medical school at UNLV and, mm -hmm. and cares one way or another about whether or not UNLV has land grant status if it helps. So that's really why the focus is on the Board of Regents, because it's it, it that type of thing for whatever. I can't explain it, Joe. I, don't, I can't explain for the life of me why a regent wouldn't just say thank you for building a medical school that corrects our or helps correct our, our medical our medical issues in, in Nevada. Because it is. It's statewide. Uh, I don't I don't I don't know. I can't get into that mind. All I know is we've created a situation in the Board of Regents that they are, they will, uh, uh, th their power is outsized in relation to the, the accountability that they have. And that's what we have to correct. This needs to come back. And, and as Dr. DeMore said, this is, this is in conjunction with other things we're doing. 
really in order for Nevadans to feel comfortable that, that there's accountability and transparency, we, we need to take these folks out of the constitution and have them function as a state agency of the state, which I think at some level the constitution contemplated. I can tell you, I, I just don't think the constitution, the founders, the framers of the constitution anticipated this kind of scenario mm -hmm. when they set it up the way they did. They anticipated the legislature having equal impact and authority, and that just has not happened through the years. There is a bill out there that to to that would be that would reduce the size of UNLV, of sorry of NCHES, the Nevada System of Higher Education's Board of Regents. They govern the universities and colleges in Nevada from uh, thirteen members to nine members and limit their terms from six years to four years, uh, the argument being that they would become more transparent and more accountable. And Maureen Schaefer, uh, did you want to add something to this? Yeah, thank you. You know, conventional wisdom says, you know, power corrupts, you know, maybe, but does it? I'll go back to my, just very quickly, my original comment. You know, why do we let people control us who clearly have no business being in control or in power? Um, I, I believe that we've had some brilliant regions who've come into this system who've been wonderful representatives but we have to ask ourselves again what kind of system do we have today and what kind of people is it attracting um, to participate as border regents we got into this as council for a better nevada and dr demore and former senator hardy are making very good points we are putting forward ab 118 and other reform bills because the system is simply attracting writ large uh people who uh are are just shouldn't be in charge and and that's generally people who are corruptible they're very corruptible even if they come in as really good people do-gooders the system ends up causing them to make decisions um, come forward, try to stop medical schools from happening that the state desperately needs. We're 3,000 doctors down today just to get to the national average um, and making other decisions, coming into factionalized groups. And we need to focus on changing the system because in general, it attracts people who then focus on themselves and focus yeah. on anything but higher education. And AB 118 is that that example of how we need to deconstruct the system, get it out of the Constitution and into the purview of the legislature where it's more more transparent and more accountable. Yeah, David DeMore. Yeah, to your point about the, the the factionalism and the question here, I had an interesting conversation with a former region just sort of asking this question, like, what are the internal dynamics here working here? And he said, you know, there's a clear split among the regions. Some are what he called single institution regions, that they're there to support a single institution. Others have a much sort of broader focus of it um, in terms of this is a system. We need to think about how we can support each other um, and support the different institutions. So I think that sort of goes to some of the, the those dynamics that, that work. Was, 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 was referring, referring to. And also because of the sort of internal dynamics and the size of the board, right, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's really the chair, the board chair, who speaks for the board. Um, and a lot of that times they don't have to inform the other board members. I think that came up when they were replacing the after Melanie Rose was let go, right? Is like all that power was put in the, in the hands of the board chair there. So I think that that sort of 
because of the yeah, size. And there of were it, questions about that. Yeah, and yeah. because of the size of the board, you really have now on a day-to-day basis. Some of those regions don't really know what's what's happening there, um, and so you get yeah. this sort of clickishness, and then you go back to the when they were pushing out Len Jessup's. Right, it was really sort of four board region board members were sort of behind well, he, that. By the way, Jessup's was the former UNLV yeah. Uh, president. Yeah, um, and so you had that sort of dynamic, and again with a smaller board, you really can't have those sort of clicks there. You can have it has to be much more open discussion among that. I mean, obviously, you're going to have people in higher education who come from the out of you know UNLV, UNR, whatever it is. There, it's just a matter of what perspective they're going to bring to that board. So, I thought that was a really interesting discussion to sort of think of different ways that people approach that as a sort of I'm a regent for a single institution versus thinking about this for uh, as an entire system. So, uh, so politics, personal feelings play a part. You know, uh, the Nevada system of higher education. Its board of regents is only one of four boards in the country that elects its regent members. The argument for appointments by appointments by a governor and then approval maybe by the state senate or the assembly, which is done in many, many states, is that it would potentially reduce this kind of factionalism, maybe politics. You know the politics that are at play. Others say it would just be just as political because you're being, you know, appointed by a governor who's part of a party, approved by a certain party in the legislature. Uh, David Demore, what's uh, go into those arguments? I, mean, I don't think what, there's what, a good solution yet because now they're out there fundraising, right? So do you want regions fundraising? What are they having to do to, right. to fundraise for that? I think the other dynamic here. Um, Joe, that is an important one, and I think there'll be legislation on this again this session. Is to simply limit what this board can do to the to the universities, right? Limit their scope to, to the sort of constitutional part of the of the, the land grant, right? Which is what, where their power comes from. There's been a lot of efforts to sort of over the years to make the community college have separate governance, um, tie them much more to the localities and local governments there. Um, so we also not only are we electing them, but it's a unitary board that's governing quote-unquote community colleges, the state college, and the university. That's not a system you see in a lot of places either. Um, so this you know, it's got sort of a lot of different dimensions mm-hmm. to it there. But, you know, from an economic development perspective, one of the things that we've been arguing with at, at Brookings Mountain West and Lindsay for a long time is that you need local in- input. You need, you know, people from industry sitting on the community college boards here. So they have those ties, those relationships here. The community colleges tend to get lost in this um, system here. And I think there, there's some of that frustration um, as well. They don't have the alumni. They don't have the budgets of the universities here. So I think we can think about that as another way to sort of modernize um, higher education governance in Nevada. Yeah. And Warren Hardy, you wanted to add something to this. Yeah, no, I think that uh, Dr. DeMore makes some great points. And, and so with regard to uh, appointed, I mean, this is a board that does require some expertise at, at some level. But here's the other thing I'll tell you. There's just a strange dynamic at the Board of Regents because, as, as Maureen indicated, we have had some really super and, and do today have some really quality people on that Board of Regents. But there just seems to be a culture there that leads to this factionalism, that leads to this we're the fourth branch of government mentality. So we need to find a way to disrupt that. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to find a way to disrupt that culture that takes good people and for whatever reason, puts them in this culture where they're not able to function or able to do the things. And Dave, I mean, hit hit it, hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm not aware of another board where the, the chair, I mean, look at the legislature, the chairman of the committee really makes a decision about what goes forward. Uh, but every single member of that committee has input. At the board of regent level, it's the chair that sets the agenda. And if the chair doesn't agree to it, it doesn't happen. 
And so it's a cultural thing that we have to disrupt. And all of these efforts do, AB 118 is part of the effort to disrupt that culture and try to get more transparency. What we might do with the, with the constitutional amendment is an effort to disrupt that. Uh, perhaps going to appointed versus elected to some level is about disrupting that culture. And, and really that's, it, we don't have all the answers. We, I couldn't sit here today and tell you this is gonna work. What I can tell you with absolute certainty based on almost 30 years experiences, what we're doing now is not working. You know, if AB 118 passes, that's not the end of this. Uh, Warren, I wonder if you could explain just for our listeners and really for me, the, the process, what happens then? Yeah, so th this piece of legislation is a standalone piece of legislation and it's evident. So the, part of the thought process here is what can we do through the legislative process and what would be what will require a constitutional amendment. It's very clear here that the Nevada Constitution allows the legislature to make these kinds of decisions. And the legislature could go as far as as a making decision about appointing appoint, appointing members. I think that's sort of looked at as maybe a next step if this doesn't have some mm. effect effectiveness. So there are certain things that can be done through the legislature. And that's what this bill represents is stuff that is clear from a constitutional perspective uh, in the in the purview of the legislature. So that we'll be coming forward uh, later with additional uh, efforts to to address the things that have to be addressed through the Constitution. And, and I will tell you, one of the things we haven't done through my experience in, in over 30 years of doing this is we tend to put stuff in the constitution in Nevada, like tax policy that just doesn't allow us the flexibility. And so, you know, getting this out of the constitution, getting these, this authority out of the constitution is really the keystone to this. And that's going to come down to the public and the public's understanding that dynamic. They're not going to have less input. They're going to have a lot more input. Uh, again, we're taking calls, and Chris June Kiliani, uh, who was in the legislature for 16 years, welcome back to the program. Thank you. I think you're discussing a bill I tried to pass back in the day when Warren and I served in the legislature. It seems to be a, a remake of my legislation to reduce not only the size of the board, to make it, but to make it clear they are not a fourth branch of government. And so hopefully this has better um, opportunity for the public to both weigh in on it, but also size does matter and the size of the board adds to the dysfunction it won't fix it but it adds to the dysfunction um i still believe that the community colleges should have a secondary advisory board of some sort that oversees them so they don't get continue to get lost in the mix as well uh, Chris, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, David Demore, professor at UNLV, you wanted to add something earlier. Oh, just you know, one point about this. This is nothing new. If you look at the history, the legislature has changed the size of that board many times. They changed the terms many times, right? It used to start at three. It's gone to five to seven to nine, 11. At one point, they had terms that were mixed for two years. They had 10-year terms. So it's been all over the map in the history since the state's creation here. They used to be elected in districts as well. So you've really changed all this structure. So this current structure we have really only dates to 2000 and I think 2010, uh, or I want to say that in my notes, what I have here, 2001. You had to make it 13 members and then to put them into individual districts the way that, mm -hmm. you know, everything else. So this is, the history of this is quite, quite interesting how it's changed over time. And it reflects, I think, longstanding tensions with the legislature and the board. And Maureen Schaefer, our, our last minute here, uh, I wonder what it looks like for support of this bill. Are, are you hearing or are you feeling, feeling it out yet? Uh, I, I think there's um, cautious support for it. 
Um, anything like this that that is structural change is is always going to take a, a lot of um, lifting through the legislative process. Uh, and but at the same time, there is no uh, question that uh, the legislature uh, knows that there's challenges um, with the the higher education system. But we do have people that are able and willing to testify on behalf of this bill. So we are cautiously optimistic, but we know it's it's not going to be a slam dunk when you're making changes like this and and looking to reduce the composition of the board. So we're taking it very seriously. And that is Maureen Schaefer. She's a CEO of Nevada Health and Bioscience Corporation, executive director of the Council for a Better Nevada, and a leader behind a push to reduce the size and the terms of the Board of Regents, which governs higher education in Nevada. Also with us has been David DeMore, UNLV political science professor, also with the Brookings Institution, and Warren Hardy, a former Republican state senator. I, I, w- I want to thank, uh, thank all of you for being thank here. Thank you. Thanks, Joe.